0: Well, good morning. I was surprised this morning when I woke up and looked outside and saw the snow. I was like, what's up with that? Well, let me tell you, the enemy does not want me to preach this message today. <clears throat> I'll be very candid with you up front. It's, I've been battling a lot of stuff personally all week. And so I come out this morning and start the car, hoping I'd warm it up and brushed off all the snow. And I went back inside, ate my oatmeal with my son, and I come back out to come to church And guess what? The keys are in the car, locked. The car's running. The lights are on. (laughs) It's a good thing we still are living with, mom and dad, until we get a place of our own, because I had to borrow one of their cars to get here. And I thought, you know, the enemy's trying to put up all kinds of roadblocks, but praise God, he is much greater than the enemy, right? I'm so glad that I'm here. I'll be, I'll be honest and tell you this is not a very easy message for me to preach, but I believe that it is one that we all need to hear. Have you ever realized just how much stuff there is on the market to cover over stinky, nasty smells? I mean, if you think about it, there's everything out there that you could think of. Candles and incense and, uh, t- you know, chewing gum, air fresheners, potpourri, deodorant, perfume, colognes, plug-ins. There's all kinds of stuff to cover over scents. It is a big, big industry out there today. We spend a lot of money on that stuff. There are products for body odor, for pet odor, for bathroom odor, for trash can odors. I mean, if you think about it, there's probably a product for just about anything out there to cover over scents. And you can walk into just about any commercial restroom. There's going to be something in there to try to make it smell better. And so part of my job is I do a little bit of traveling, and tell, let me tell you, I've been in some pretty nasty restrooms. Let me just tell you, without going into too much graphic detail, that there are products out there that there's nothing that can be done to cover over some things, what goes on in there, right? Are you with me? So, uh, you know, some of us spend quite a bit of money on stuff to help us smell better, or our pets, or whatever you know, some of us will go to great lengths to hide our smell. Now, I'm a big hunter. I love to hunt. And uh, there's a lot of products out there to help cover over your scent. I've got one here with me right now, and it's called Scent Killer. How appropriate for today's message. And, uh, you know, I, I know there are some people that take this very seriously when they go out hunting, and it's a big deal. Now, when you hunt, you've got to be very cognizant of the wind direction. You need to be cognizant of your smell because guess what? Those deer get a whiff of you, they're gone in a heartbeat, and that's the end of your day, pretty much. And so I've been hunting with guys that will go to great lengths to hide their smell. I've seen them to where we'll go to go hunting, and they'll have a whole trash bag full of their clothes that they intend to hunt in. They're wearing a completely different outfit, right, till we get to where we're going. And inside that trash bag, sometimes they'll throw dirt in there or pine needles in there to help cover over the scent. And then we'll get to our hunting spot, and they will pull those clothes out. they will change clothes. And then, now, mind you, they've already gone through this whole routine at home where they've taken scent killer laundry detergent and washed their clothes in it. They've gone through scent killer shampoo and they've washed their hair with it. There's even scent killer body wash that they've washed their body with. So when they get all dressed up, then they'll take this stuff and they'll spray it on their feet, you know, under their arms, all that kind of stuff. And they'll make sure that they're all covered up so that they can get an edge you know, when they're out there hunting. They don't want those deer to smell them. And you know, the key here is, is that we can maybe fool animals by the smells that we try to cover up with all the greatest and latest products out there that are out there today, but we can never fool God because our sin is a wretched stench to Him. It is. And no matter how hard that we try to cover it up on our own, we can never do it. You know, I had a uh, time when we were living in Florida, and there was a hurricane that was rolling through, and it had knocked out the power in our area, and so we were scrambling and running around the house, uh, trying to get everything together, because we were going to leave. We figured, since we don't have power, it's hot in Florida, y'all. It's hot down there, so we didn't have air conditioning. So we got all our stuff together, and just as I was about to r- walk out the front door, I had some friend of ours that had driven all the way from Texas to come visit us and it just happened to show up on that day so I opened the door I'm like hey Michelle how are you doing <laughs> and so we ended up driving north we went into Alabama and so when we finally got home this had been four or five days now or maybe longer uh, the power was back on so that was good they'd finally gotten that but as soon as I opened the garage I smelled the most horrifying smell I'd ever smelled in my entire life. You know what happened? When that power had gone off and gone back on, it flipped the GFCI circuit breaker in the garage and knocked out every single plug in the garage. So I had a big, giant freezer in there. had all my nice meat. You can imagine what that was like, and I had a thousand flies flying at me. It was horrible. And you know, that's what moral decay in our society is like to God. It's an offensive, foul odor to him. You know, turn with me to Isaiah 65. This is our main text today. Beginning in verse 2, it says All day long I open my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. All day long they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens. They burn incense on pagan altars. At night they go out among the graves worshiping the dead and they eat the flesh of pigs and make stews with other forbidden foods. They say to each other, don't come too close or you'll defile me. I'm holier than you. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. You know, you can read in the Old Testament over and over and over again how God had open arms for his people. But yet the people of Israel were stubborn, They were rebellious, and they were disobedient, much like we are today. They wanted to to go their own way. They wanted to do their own thing. You know, parents, how does it make you feel when you've got a son or a daughter who is disobedient? It's frustrating, isn't it? You're trying to teach them the right way to go, and yet they keep on doing things the wrong way. You know, my wife homeschools our son, and he is an amazing child. Man, I love that young man. But he also can be very, very defiant. And it challenges the patience of my wife. And, but you know what? She's there for him day after day with her arms open wide. Just like our Heavenly Father is for you and I. He's there every day. Can you imagine what he feels when he looks along, his children, when he looks out there and he sees us being disobedient and rebellious? Can you imagine what he feels? All day long, he's got his arms open from us. And yet, how many of us continue in the stench of our own sin? Normally, the first thing that we want to do when we sin is we want to cover it up. If you see here in the text in verse 3, they were so bold, the Israelites were so bold, that it says, All day long they insult me to my face. In other words, they weren't trying to hide it, they were right there flaunting their sin right in the face of God. And they also worshipped idols, the word says. Now, idols back then look a lot different than what idols do today. I mean, obviously back then there was a lot of wood carvings or statues or what have you. And they were bowing down to that kind of stuff. They were putting stuff in front of God. But here's the deal. Idols today may not take those same kind of forms. But listen, an idol is anything that you put above God. God is supposed to be first in our life. And when he's not first and we're worshipping other things, that's, that's not what he's intended. He wants to be first in our life. He won't tolerate anything but that. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in our life. Verse 5 talks about hypocrisy. You can see that there it says, yet they say to each other, don't come too close. You're defile me. I'm holier than you. You know how easy it is for us to look at other people and see their sin and we see their smell and we think they stink when we realize that Or we don't realize, rather, that, you know, perhaps we stink even worse than they do. It's easy to do that. But here comes the kicker, if you see it in verse 5. It says, these people are a stench in my nostrils, a acrid smell that never goes away. This is what we are when we have unconfessed sin in our life. We are rotten and putrid stench. Now, to Satan, this smells really good. He loves this. Sin smells like fun to him. And he loves it. He deceives us into thinking, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. You deserve this. You've earned it. No one has to know. Those are the kinds of things that Satan will whisper in our ear. But listen, when we cooperate with the devil by sinning, we are actually opposing Jesus. Satan will even try to fool us into thinking that what is wrong is right by redefining it. And if that's not bad enough, then he'll whisper to us to try to rationalize our sin away. You ever notice that what the opposite of what Jesus says is often what Satan tempts us with? As an example, God's word is very clear about sex outside of marriage. It's wrong, period. Yet how many TV shows and magazines and movies flaunt that like it's no big deal? They put it right in our face and right in the face of God. God is very clear in his word about the dangers of sex outside of marriage. But Satan will slip in there and he'll say, It's okay. It's fun. You can do it. It'll make you feel good. That person that you're dating, Ah, don't worry about it. You're going to marry them anyway. These are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of rationalizations that Satan will whisper in our ear. We've got to understand just how deceitful Satan is. Jesus said that he is the father of lies and there is no truth in him at all. Just like Satan did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he'll make us feel like that we're being deprived, like God is holding out on us and that we should be able to do whatever we want with our bodies. Yes, sex is fun. God created sex and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But he created it specifically to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in marriage. If you're having sex outside of marriage and then you're wondering why you're not blessed, or you're wondering why you don't have a meaningful relationship that you can have trust and that you can have the freedom to have genuine love between each other, it's because God can't and he won't ever bless that. Because if you're doing that, you're living completely outside of his will. It's an awful stench to him. Now, Satan will also make us think like that what we have belongs to us. Nothing belongs to us. (laughs) We don't own anything. Everything that we have belongs to God. His word says in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, that the earth and everything in it belongs to him. You know, some of us get pretty caught up in our stuff. Houses and cars and toys and guns and electronics. And I could go on and on. Some of us get really caught up in our stuff. But listen, we're nothing but caretakers. We're stewards of what God has given us. At best, we're just renters. We don't own anything. And he's not interested in how much we accumulate. He's more interested in what we do with what we have. Are we generous? Do we share with others in need? Are we full of pride over what we have or what we think that we've earned? Do we live above our means to get the stuff that we think that we need? Are we being good stewards when we live like this? Another area that Satan loves to deceive us with is money. And the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, money itself is neutral. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. The real question when it comes to money is in whom do we trust? Do we trust in the money? Or do we trust in the one who provides us the money? Do we love money or do we love God? We can't love them both. It's either one or the other. In Malachi chapter 3, God commands that we bring the tithe into the storehouse. He says that not bringing the tithes is actually stealing from him. In other words, it's a sin. We're actually robbing him and it stinks to him. It's an awful stench in his nostrils. Now, I know I just spoke about sex, about possessions, and about money, and I may have struck a nerve with some of you. I know I struck a nerve with myself talking about some of these things. It may not have even felt very good. But listen, we don't come to church just to feel good, do we? We come to worship an amazing God who loves us, and we come to fellowship with other believers. We come here to serve. And we shouldn't be here to have our ears tickled. We should be here because we want to grow our faith when we want to see others do the same. And we should do that so that we all become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why we should be here. Christianity is not about going through the motions. It's not about coming in here, singing a few songs, listening to a sermon, getting our Jesus on and going home. That is not what Christianity is about. Every day we should be growing closer and closer to Jesus into the fullness of who he is. And that means seeking him with all of our heart. And to become more and more like him, we've got to understand who he is. And we do this by studying his word and by spending time in prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of playing spiritual patty cake. I'm tired of doing that. There is people out there every day that are dying that don't know Jesus. There should be a sense of urgency. There are people out there who are hurting, who are helpless, who are hopeless, who are depressed, who are addicted to sin, and who are in need of someone to love them and point them to Jesus. And there may be some of you like that in here today. But let me tell you, you're in the right place you've come to the right place because that's our focus here at Crosspoint is pointing people to hope in Jesus. Christianity is not about punching our eternal salvation ticket. It's not saying, well, I got my ticket. Now I can just get on cruise control and coast. We're not here on earth just to simply to wait for heaven to get here. If we're coasting, if we're just going through the motions of our faith, it makes God sick. He can't stand this kind of indifference. You can see this in Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus tells John to write this down for the church of Latiosia. And he says, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Spiritual indifference is a disgusting stench to him. It makes him want to throw up. And listen, I know that that's a very vivid picture. And I know this is a hard message. This isn't one that makes you feel comfortable. I I know that. But listen, this is the truth. And even more than making him sick, is it breaks God's heart when we sin. It breaks his heart. Sin hinders our prayers. It breaks down our bodies. It shatters our marriages. It cripples congregations. And it steals our joy. There can be pleasure in sin, but it is short lived. And the consequences can be devastating. The pleasure of sin is only temporary. Don't be fooled by the lure of what feels good, it will not last. Sin never fulfills, it always leaves you and I wanting. And we can't ever think that we're going to get away with it either. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. The Apostle Paul warns us here. He's saying we can't mock God. You know what mock means? Mock really means that you're just thumbing your nose at God. It means that you're just turning up our nose and we're saying whatever and then we go and do our own thing. That's what mocking is. But Paul goes on to say that we will reap what we sow. This is the law of the harvest. We will reap what we sow. It's foolish to think that we can live irresponsibly and not follow God's commands. There will be consequences for our poor choices to satisfy our sinful nature. Now one of the most, co- the most common things that we do when we sin is we try to cover it up. We try to hide it and we may be able to fool our friends, we may be able to fool our coworkers, we may even be able to fool our family. But there's nothing that we can do to hide it from God. Hebrews 4:13 says, "Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. He sees everything. We can never hide our sins from him. Now, if you remember back in Genesis in chapter 3, what did Adam do after he had eaten the fruit? He went and hid in the garden, him and Adam, and he both. They went and hid from God. They tried to hide. And so God comes in there, and he confronts Adam. And he, you know what Adam did? Adam did what most of us do today. We try to shift the blame to someone or something other than ourselves. And so when God asked Adam and said, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Do you know what Adam said? He said, it was the woman that you gave me. That's what he said. The Men, we're blaming women. And we still do that today, don't we? We blame our wives, right? Yes. But hey, women, you're not off the hook either. So God confronts Eve. And guess what Eve does? He said, she, God says to Eve, what have you done? And Eve says, it was the serpent that deceived me. So you've got Adam pointing fingers at the woman, and then you've got the woman pointing fingers at the serpent. We're shifting blame, and we're still doing that today. You know, that's the whole culture of, our, of, our, uh, of the world today, is don't accept responsibility. Make excuses or blame someone else. That's what culture tells us to do. And you know, I think one of the greatest examples of seeing the most ridiculous excuse as you can find in Exodus chapter 32. And this is where uh, God's people are sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai and they're waiting on Moses to come down. Moses is up there receiving the Ten Commandments from God. God is writing the Ten Commandments on stone tablets with his finger, okay? And the people are getting restless. And so Aaron is in charge while Moses is gone. Aaron is Moses' older brother. And so he's supposed to be looking after the people while Moses is gone. And so the people tell Aaron, hey, make us some gods who will lead us. Which just sounds ridiculous, but that's what they say. And you know what Aaron does? He comes up with this really great idea, right? He tells everybody, give us, give me your gold. Okay, give all your jewelry to me. And he melts down the gold. He makes this golden calf so that they can worship it. And uh, you know what happens is, is then... God tells Moses, says, Moses, you need to get back down the mountain because the people have corrupted themselves and are turning away from me. And so Moses is furious. He comes down the mountain, and he comes to confront his brother Aaron. And this is what I want you to see. I want you to see Aaron's response to this. Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) Do you see how absolutely ridiculous Aaron sounds here? I mean, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Really? We do the same thing today with the kind of excuses that we make we often look just as silly as Aaron did we have to stop trying to hide our sins and start taking responsibility for them proverbs 28:13 says people who conceal their sins will not prosper but if they confess and turn from them they will receive mercy if we try to hide our sins we will not prosper in other words we will fail we will not succeed Our stench cannot be covered up by anything that we do. Listen, there is only one true scent killer, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only true scent killer that we have. He's the only one that can take away our stench. There is no other way for us to get rid of it. Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Jesus is the answer. You want to get the stink off of you? Turn to Jesus. He is the only true scent killer. So you might be sitting there thinking, okay, I get it. My stink stinks to high heaven. How do I get rid of it? How do I get rid of the stench in my life? I'm tired of living with it, you might be thinking. I'm tired of trying to hide it. I'm ashamed. And I keep doing what I don't want to be doing. Some of you might be feeling that way. I'm tired of struggling with the same thing all the time. What do I do about it? You know, as I thought about that, I remembered a time a few years ago that I was at a pastor's conference. And I was sitting around the table with a bunch of fellow pastors. And there was a gentleman there who happened to be the keynote speaker for this conference. His name was Dr. John. He'd been in ministry over 60 years. I mean, he had a lot of wisdom. And so my buddy Tim says, Dr. John, you've been around the block a little bit. Let me ask you this. If you could sum up one word, or if you could say one word to this generation, what would it be? You know what Dr. John said? He said, repent. Repent. That was the one word that he gave. You know, Jesus says in Mark 1.15 that we are to repent of our sins. So what does the word repent actually mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean that you say you're sorry and move on, okay? I am so guilty of that. I know when I pop off at my wife when I'm impatient and I I look at her and say, I'm sorry because I just want it to go on and I don't want to hear the whole rest of the story. That's, you know, that's not repentance, right? There's a lot more to it. So let me give you three components to repentance, okay? There's three of them. One is to express heartfelt sorrow for what we've done. In other words, we should feel genuine remorse and regret. So much so that it moves into number two, which is to have a change of mind, which means we go in a completely different direction. So let me illustrate this for you. Imagine yourself driving down a one-way street, and you're in a car, and you got all these cars coming at you. If you keep heading down that road, you're going to get hurt, right? So you need to change your mind and say, I'm, I'm on the wrong way. I need to turn around and go the other way. That's the second component. We need to change our mind and go in a completely different direction. And that means we turn away from sin. We break the cycle of sin in our life. And then it moves into the third component, which is a new direction. And that new direction is obedience to Jesus Christ. Those are the three components to repentance. Now, that actually sounds really good, doesn't it? That's like the textbook answer on repentance. But you still might be sitting there going, well, what do I do about it? How do I do that? How do I actually do it? The first thing that we got to know is that we cannot do it in our own strength. You and I just cannot will ourselves to stop doing something or stop saying something because willpower alone will never get it done, right? How many of you are with me on that? Willpower alone will never get it done. The real power and the real life change happens When we put our trust completely in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You know, one of the analogies I like to think with that is it's, it's a caterpillar, right? This caterpillar is nothing but a worm. And then when it goes into the cocoon and it comes out, it's a butterfly. It's a completely new creation. And so when you give your life to Jesus... The old is gone. You don't have to stay in that sin anymore. You're now a new creation. You're like that butterfly just flying away. You're you're somebody totally new. That's the truth of his word. But listen, if you choose to stay and live in sin, the Bible's very clear on the result. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's where it leads. Stay on that one-way road long enough with those cars coming at you, and guess what's going to happen, right? It's going to get ugly. But I love the other side of that verse in Romans 6.23. It says, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, every one of us sins. Me, you, we all do. We all sin. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, that we're all sinners. We all stumble. We all struggle. Turn to the person next to you and say, You know what? You stink. We all stink. We've all got stink in our lives. We all sin. None of us are above that, okay? Let's get that out of the way. We all struggle. But here's the key. We should not be making a habit of it. Sin is not only disobeying God. Sin is outright rebellion. What we're really doing when we sin is we're thumbing our nose at God. That's what we're doing when we sin. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. And sin stinks. But listen, God will forgive us. He promises to take away the stench of our sins and make us new. He will make us clean. I love this verse. 1 John nine says, But if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. This is a promise that we can count on. The truth is right here. And this is what this time of year is all about. Easter's two weeks away. And we celebrate Easter for what Jesus did on the cross for us. He completely demolished the power of sin in our lives. When he spoke the words on the cross, it is finished. That means that he took care of our sins for the past, for the present, and for the future. It's final. It's done. It's taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got a license to just go out and do whatever we want and sin, does it? Mm -mm. That's not what it means. It means that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we mess up. But we've got to come to him. He sacrificed himself for you and for me. He died so that we may live. He bore the foul and putrid stench from our sins upon his shoulders on our behalf. He died in our place. He paid the penalty that you and I should endure. He not only conquered death, but he rose on the third day and he's seated at the right hand of God right now. But you know what? He's pulling for you and for me. He doesn't want any of us to die in our sins. Not one. He wants all of us to come to know the saving power of who he is and to have a life in him. And he has promised to make us new. He's promised to give us a fresh start. You can see this in, the, in his word in Lamentations 3.23. It says that his mercies are new every morning. And that means that every morning when we wake up, we have a fresh start. We do. We have a fresh start with him every day. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please, let me introduce you to him. I want to do it. I want to introduce you to him. Don't leave here without knowing who he is. You know, we can sometimes be pretty stubborn when it comes to our sin because we don't like admitting when we're wrong. We don't like acknowledging that we failed at something. Listen, one thing that I've noticed is that as our faith grows, as we mature in Christ, the time between when we sin and when we ask God for forgiveness should get shorter and shorter. If we're truly seeking God, if we're honest with ourselves, and we call ourselves followers of Christ, we should be running for forgiveness, shouldn't we? We shouldn't want to hold on to the sin in our lives, and we shouldn't make a habit of it. Now, we all struggle, and we all sin, but we should be quick to come to God and ask for his help, and ask for his repentance. Genuine repentance is a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God, and it will result in a changed life genuine repentance is a sweet fragrance. Now, we've been talking about stink, nasty smells, and putrid, and all that stuff. But listen, genuine repentance is a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God. And it will result in a changed life. Now, one way that we can really get a hold of living our lives in the right way is by surrounding ourselves with godly friends. Now, over the last two weeks, Pastor Bruce has been preaching about friendships and the importance of having godly relationships. If you haven't heard the last two messages, I encourage you to go online and listen to them because godly friendships are essential. They are. They are essential. Godly relationships matter. There shouldn't be any solo Christians out there. We don't all put on our S on our chest and run around try to tackle the world by ourselves, right? We need people to help us. We need to find trustworthy and godly friends who can help us be accountable. Now I'm not talking about the kinds of friends that um, treat sin like it's no big deal or friends that are doing the stuff you're doing right alongside of you. That's wrong. I'm not talking about those kinds of friends. Nor am I talking about those kinds of friends who will pass judgment on you either. That's not the kind of friends I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who will not only love you in spite of your sin but they will love you enough to help you turn away from it. There is strength in numbers. There is power in having people in our lives who want you to succeed, who laugh with you, who cry with you, who will pray with you and pray for you. Seek these kinds of friends. These friends are essential, and they will give you the accountability that we all need to stay on the right path. Listen, the path of the world is wide and easy. But the path of a true Christian is narrow and difficult. One path leads to destruction and eternal death, and one path leads to eternal life. So I'm going to leave you with this question. Which path do you choose? I said I was going to introduce somebody to Jesus this morning. I'm going to step down off this stage, and we're going to pray. Zach, if you could come, and if you're there play some music. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, sin is a big deal to you. And unfortunately, we have an enemy out there that wants nothing more than to see us fail. And he does everything he can to try to get us away from you. And so, Lord, we come before you. We ask that you take away our sin. We don't want to live in it anymore. Lord, we want you We ask that you convict us, Lord. There may be somebody here who's struggling with the same pattern over and over and just want to break that pattern, just want to get out of that. I don't know how, maybe. Maybe they don't know how. Maybe they've struggled with it for long enough. But they know they want to change. They want to see something different. So if you're here today, and that's you, that's you. You're struggling with some sin, and you just want prayer. I just ask that you slip up your hand just so I can see you. I want to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else need prayer? Thank you. You need to break that cycle of sin. Thank you. Yes. Lord, we want you to take away that sin. And I just ask, Lord God, that you would come into these people's lives who have had the courage to raise their hand and say, you know what? I need you and I want you, Lord. I don't want the sin anymore. I want to get away from it. You know, as you keep praying today, there may be somebody here who doesn't know Jesus at all. And you're like, you know, I want to know him. I don't know how. I need need someone to help me. Maybe that's you. If that's you and you want to come forward, I'll pray with you. If you need prayer and you want somebody to pray with you, we got people at the cross that will be here for you. Feel free to walk over there and they'll pray with you. I'm going to be right here at the front if you need someone to pray. I'm right here. Any of you want to know Jesus, And maybe, that's, maybe you don't want to come forward and that's okay. You don't have to come forward. There's no special formula for how you come to know Christ. It's all a heart thing. If that's you and you want to know him today, just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. You want to know Christ. You want to be set free. Maybe you're struggling in sin and you're like, you know what, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I've had enough of living for me. I've had enough of living in my sin. Maybe that's you today. You can raise your hand there. If I see you, I'll pray for you. Okay, thank you. A couple of you, good. Lord, these folks that have raised their hand and said, you know what? I don't want to live in this cycle anymore. I want to rededicate my life to you, Lord. I pray that you'd come into their hearts, that you'd turn their hearts to you, Father. Help them to focus upon you and the truth of who you are. Your word is true, Lord, when it says that we are a new creation. We don't need to live in that old stuff anymore. We can shed that. I pray right now, Father, for all of us in here that you'd help us to unite together as a body of believers who love you and want to see others change, Lord, for you. We give you the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey, I'm here. You need prayer? Come forward. I'll pray with you. We've got Leslie over here at the cross as well. Thank you. May God bless you.